Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. The remainder of Free For All Friday after our one and only special guest will be about your statewide phone calls. But joining us now, as promised, he is one of the great play-by-play men in all of sports. He will have the call for Titans-Ravens this weekend. CBS is actually your home for half of this weekend's matchups. Texans at Chiefs on Sunday, Titans at Ravens tomorrow night. Ian Eagle has the play-by-play for that one as the Ravens are described by many as the favorite to win the whole darn thing. He's also the voice of the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA, does great work on tennis for the Tennis Channel, Turner Sports, Westwood One, Ian Eagle, friend of the program. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, man. How are you? Hey, free for all Friday, DG. Great to talk to you, bud. It's great to have you back with us. Free for all Friday for listeners and callers means they steer the ship wherever they want to take us. You know, we, get, we tell sports radio listeners, y'all are always complaining that we talk too much about this and not enough about that. So long ago, we created Free for All Friday. You are under no such pressure. You just have to answer my questions if you're kind enough to do so. Let me start in the bigger picture. You in TV land... And I always love to portray you as, you know, the billionaire executive of these huge networks. <laughs> yes, of uh, Four great, enormous TV audiences in what is supposedly a splintered, you know, television and radio world. I know the headlines of a couple years ago were that NFL numbers were down in some important ways. Clearly, they're back, regular season and postseason. Is it just the ebb and flow of the industry? Or are things right now that were not right for a while? Well, I think it's a combination. I do think it's uh, the ebb and flow of the injury. But, but I think also, in addition to the industry, is the fact that this was a compelling regular season. It really was interesting throughout the year. And the fact that you didn't have that one special team, per se, in the NFC, San Francisco has been terrific. But you hit divisional weekend and you could envision any one of the four teams going on a run to the Super Bowl. So that opened up the audience a bit in the NFC. AFC, the fact that Baltimore supplanted the dominant New England Patriots. And one of the games that I did, it was uh, Houston-Baltimore. That was the game that I thought shifted the thought process of people following the AFC, that Baltimore was the team to beat, they're the best team in football, the most balanced team in football, the most exciting team in football, and all of those things just dominoed into this very intriguing final month of the year and the carryover into the postseason. I thought wildcard weekend was a lot of fun. So we've had years where the playoffs have been great, but the regular season wasn't. Regular season great, postseason wasn't. This might be one of those years where you get two for the price of one. The Elite Eight are still standing. We will have a Final Four by the end of this weekend. CBS with Ian Eagle have Titans at Ravens tomorrow night. They also have Texans at Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. The other matchups, of course, Vikings at 49ers and Seahawks at Packers. I believe you have not only, of course, the Super Bowl favorite with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm convinced that you, Ian, and your crew have maybe the most compelling personal storyline among players because as much as fresh on our mind is Lamar Jackson on his way to the MVP trophy, one year ago this month, he played a horrifically bad first half as the Ravens had an early exit in the postseason. 
And his poor performance for much of that game was front and center for why they were eliminated. What have you seen from him this year that is different and better because he's clearly new and improved? And have you sensed that there's a heavy storyline, at least among Lamar Jackson's critics? Hey, they found him out last year. They exposed, you know, his weaknesses last year. Now that it's the playoffs and a quality Titans team, somebody's going to figure out a way to get him in the postseason again. David, I worked that game last year on Westwood One, so I was front and center. I, I saw the, the heartbreak and the disappointment and the realization from many people that, wow, they're not as far along as people may have thought they could have been. And, yeah, it was nice to see Lamar uh, take over the NFL for a stretch with his legs, but when you force him to pass, he's just not going to be able to beat you in this league at this level. That was the narrative. That, that was absolutely the storyline after that game and the loss to the Chargers. Here we are a year and a week later, and I'm not hearing any of that anymore. That has faded, and I haven't heard a whole lot of even the last part of your question, which is uh, he's got to overcome that, or uh, that's still a question mark, the playoffs from a year ago. I asked him about it in our meeting yesterday because I wanted to get his thoughts. Yeah. And what I've learned about Lamar, it's very refreshing. He is very direct. He is very honest. There is no filter of what he's supposed to say as a starting quarterback yeah. in the NFL or some handbook of what you're supposed to say in these meetings. He looks you in the eye and he answers the question. And he looked me in the eye when I asked him about last year, and he said, well, that's not going to happen again. That won't happen. I won't let that happen. And, yes, it did bother me. Being booed at my home state right. bothered me. I don't see myself as a loser. I don't have a losing mentality. And he's saying this while looking me in the eye, not looking to the side, right. not looking down, not pondering it. It's very much at the forefront of his mind. And he wants to erase that. He didn't talk about winning a Super Bowl. He talked about winning multiple Super Bowls. Hmm. That's the confidence level that he has. And, David, we've had a lot of conversations through the years, you and I. Yeah. I've done the NBA a long time, and there's a certain mystique and there's a certain command and presence that Michael Jordan brought, that LeBron James, Kobe Bryant bring. And Lamar brings that. There's a juice. There's a... There's a tone that he sets when he runs out onto the field and the fans get wind of it and it permeates throughout the stadium. He's got a presence that I haven't really experienced a whole lot in NFL circles. And I think it, it has caught on with his team. They're a very confident group. I didn't sense any tightness. I felt from them that they can recreate and continue what they did in the regular season, they believe they can do it in the postseason. Man, I'm glad you shared that because you know how closely we cover the ACC here at the college level in North Carolina. And, of course, Louisville joined the ACC, you know, soon yep. before Lamar became their Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback. So I had those eyeball-to-eyeball, eyeball, you know, not just phone, but in-person conversations with Lamar Jackson here on the David Glenn Show. And I experienced what you experienced, but I've also been around long enough to know that some guys change when they get to the pros, NFL or NBA. So it is fascinating to me that he struck you as a pro. You know, sometimes they're coached to sort of, uh, I don't know, become less real or, or less genuine or less candid, et cetera. 
and that is really, really cool. Uh, let me stick with your game, uh, since that's what you're, where you've been doing, I guess, the majority of your prep. Whereas I believe the Ravens are better than the Titans, and I believe the Ravens are the favorite to win the Super Bowl, and they have home field advantage, et cetera. This combination of Derrick Henry, NFL's leading rusher, and Ryan Tannehill going from almost afterthought backup quarterback to some of the best numbers among all quarterbacks in the NFL this year. I read that the Ravens blitz more than any team in the NFL, and guess who has one of the best seasons against the blitz? Veteran Ryan Tannehill. Like, if my life depended on it, I'd pick the Ravens, but thanks to those, that quarterback and that running back, I'm not assuming anything. What do you make of that, those aspects of this matchup? Yeah, DG, it doesn't feel like a normal 6-1 matchup. Normally right. the 6-seed is a nice story, and they're just happy to be in the divisional round, and no matter what happens, it'll be a, a successful season. I don't feel that way with Tennessee. They don't feel that way. This team believes, and part of that belief is based on the two things that you just talked about. They've got Derrick Henry, who's a battering ram. He's immense. He's a physical specimen. And as we saw last week, New England couldn't tackle him. Uh, they, they could not bring him down. Nobody has put up more yards in a playoff game against a Bill Belichick coach team than Derrick Henry. Wow. So he made history last week. And then this new version of Ryan Tannehill. I don't know if he would tell you that he feels like it's new. He felt like it was always in him. And we had their, their game where he got the starting nod. So it was the first game where... He was with the starting offense. They were playing the L.A. Chargers. They did not resemble a playoff team. This was mid-October, and the change was made by Mike Vrabel. We sit down in the production meeting with him, and look, there's a lot to go through at that point. Uh, he'd been starting quarterback his whole career. He's the backup because nobody wanted him as a starter. They get this trade with Tennessee. I think him and his agent realized that might be the most tenuous of situations for starting quarterbacks with Marcus Mariota. And he ends up getting the job. But how he navigated through it as the backup and dealing with his teammates and getting a lay of the land and not pushing too hard, maintaining a good relationship and trying to support Marcus, I think played a big role in him taking over and then understanding what made this offense tick. They had chunk plays right out of the gate. Henry looked better. A.J. Brown got off to uh, the kind of performances that we anticipated when he was drafted and Tannehill was at the center of it their offensive coordinator Arthur Arthur Smith was very much a part of it in changing and adjusting the offense and his numbers are tremendous uh, they uh, they're a complete team uh, this this is not uh, a just happy to be their moment DG they they believe that they can come into Baltimore and continue this this magical run and that to me is what makes this matchup so intriguing Ian Eagle joining us on the David Glenn Show. Titans at Ravens tomorrow night on CBS with Ian on the call. Texans at Chiefs also on CBS on Sunday afternoon. With that latter CBS game in mind, I forget how often you were around Andy Reid of Kansas City this year, but I really admire and respect him dating to my days, you know, growing up in Philadelphia and, and being an mm -hmm. Eagles fan and watching him lead that team to the Super Bowl. He is the sixth winningest coach in NFL history, and of course, he still does not have uh, that Super Bowl ring. I just wonder your general thoughts about the scrutiny he'll be under 
because you know how this works, man. If you're John Harbaugh or Pete Carroll this weekend and something goes wrong, you're still a member of the Super Bowl club, right? Like you get some kind of benefit of the doubt there. Or if you're the underdog this weekend and you lose, you get treated a different way. If you're the favorite and you're at home and you're the Kansas City Chiefs and last year's MVP Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback and you have this weird track record of making the playoffs all the time with the Eagles and the Chiefs but not going far enough for some people's liking, I just feel like there's a weight on Andy Reid's shoulders where if somehow the Chiefs didn't beat the Texans this weekend, uh, a weird story would get even weirder. What, what have you witnessed or what do you think when you hear such things? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying completely, and Andy Reid has had to deal with that for a number of years. But if you meet with him and you talk with him, you'd never know it. You'd never know that's cool. that that's something that's weighing on him. I think he's comfortable with where he is in his career, uh, certainly comfortable with the job that he's done in Kansas City. He revitalized that franchise. They needed it. He gave them uh, the kind of structure they needed, a football program that it required, and he is not as heavily involved in the personnel as he once was in Philadelphia, which I think has alleviated some of that stress and has just allowed him to go do his thing, which is coach and get into the lab and figure out all the kinds of ways he can use the weapons that the Chiefs have. I, I worked that first game, Kansas City-Houston, and it was a shocker. You know, the Texans went in there, got a win against the Chiefs. Deshaun Watson outdueled Patrick Mahomes. But what I remember most about that game is it didn't feel like the Chiefs that we know. And a reminder to the rest of the league that they're still around that while Mahomes is not getting the headlines that Lamar Jackson has gotten this year, he's still the reigning MVP. Their defense is definitely better than it was one year ago at this time. And while the running game probably leaves a little something to be desired, they have found enough on the ground. They're dangerous, really dangerous. And for Houston to pull off a repeat performance and go in there in the playoffs and get a win, to me, that would be the biggest upset of the weekend believe it or not two quick hitters just be as brief as you need to be and we'll send you into your weekend whereas if my life depended on it i would take the two home teams in the two cbs games ravens over titans chiefs over texans i mm -hmm. wouldn't bet a nickel on either of these nfc games like i just don't see massive differences between the seahawks at the packers and the Vikings at the 49ers. Is there an NFC favorite that, that stands out, maybe not head and shoulders above the rest, but you just like their combination of talent and experience and depth and coaching and health? Uh, or is it just four teams, any of which could end up in the Super Bowl on the NFC side? Yeah, there is an NFC team where I like their balance and I like their health and I like their depth. And that team's home. That's New Orleans. That's the team. <laughs> well, that <laughs> underlines the theme, right? <laughs> That's my point. Yeah, 100%. I went into last weekend thinking the Saints were the best team in the conference. They would go on a run, uh, <laughs> it. they would uncork it at the right time, and they laid an egg in that game against Minnesota. So now uh, you look at these matchups, and, of course, logic would dictate 
number one seed at home, San Francisco. You've got to go with them all the way. I've got questions. They've yeah. had a tremendous season, but Garoppolo's never been in this spot, so that's new. And it's not as if he had this incredible year. The team did, and he was very good at times, and then spotty at other times. And I think they made the decision they had to make. They felt he was a franchise quarterback. He's coming off the injury, and he's done everything in his power to, to try to, to be the guy that they want him to be. But now it's the playoffs, and now – with Minnesota, with Green Bay, with Seattle, any one of those four teams could emerge in the NFC, and you would not surprise me one bit if they're in Miami for a Super Bowl 54. Any one of those four can make a claim right now. Last thing for Ian Eagle of the NFL on CBS, also the longtime voice of the Brooklyn Nets. With that latter role in mind, I don't know if you're wearing either a whistle or a referee's uniform right now, but would you like to jump in the middle of the Kendrick Perkins of ESPN, Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn, Net, Brooklyn Nets uh, social media spat? I mean, it was. I love KD. Admire him, respect him. I don't even know how much you have interacted with him, given that KD, of course, is, is on the shelf with his injury while, of course, a member of the Brooklyn Nets organization. But it just seemed to get personal. I mean, these guys played together in Oklahoma City and on social media for all the public to see, man, they're taking shots at who did what in the playoffs. And it just seemed to get oddly personal. And whereas I admire KD, he sometimes has had thin skin in ways that show up on social media. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's based on perspective, uh, David, because it's a funny world we live in. We want the athletes to be transparent and honest, and we want them to keep it real. And then if they do, there's that moment of, whoa, 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 <laughs> right. too real. Right. You're showing us too much there. Wait a minute. You're sensitive. You're a human. You're affected by this. So true. So, look, obviously the relationship with him and Kendrick, Kendrick portrayed it a year ago when – Kevin Durant was making his decision or in the midst of making a decision at the end of the season of where he was going to go. Kendrick definitely portrayed it as, Hey, I know some stuff. I played with KD. You want to hear my opinion on this. So he used that relationship in a favorable way to create some credibility. When he started talking about the topic, obviously now as they worked into this subject matter, I don't know the relationship between the two. I think most people thought, Oh, they're joking around. It's fun. And then it didn't seem very fun. It seemed very right. real and raw. And some things that came out on social media were coming from a very honest place and brutally honest place uh, on both sides. Uh, what I have learned with KD is uh, he doesn't care if you're a former player, if you're a fan, if you work for a newspaper, if you work for a radio station, if you work for a network, uh, if you bring the fire, he's going to bring it back. Yeah. I think he finds it. Uh, maybe uh, in some way therapeutic uh, to just get it out there and be honest and and let it all hang out. And that's what he's going with right now. His name is Ian Eagle. Catch him on the call tomorrow night for the NFL on CBS. Titans at Ravens, 8.15 or so kickoff on CBS. Thanks for squeezing us in, especially during a uh, wild and fun and crazy time, man. Keep up the good work and enjoy the rest of this journey. 
Yeah, you got it, David. Always a pleasure. Great talking to you. Enjoy the weekend. Right back at you, my friend. Ian Eagle from Westwood One, the NFL on CBS, Turner Sports, Tennis Channel, and much more. You can pick his brain on like half a dozen different sports. He will never let you down. A couple of big breaking news items in Major League Baseball, as most of our calls today understandably have been on the NFL and college basketball. Clemson at UNC, Wake Forest at Duke, NC State going to Virginia Tech. Great top five versus top five national matchup between Baylor and Kansas in Big 12 country. A couple of big names just put their names on the dotted line in Major League Baseball. We'll hit you with those updates. You steer the ship the rest of the way. It is free-for-all Friday. We are halfway to Margaritaville. I've brought a lot more on the NFL Elite Eight matchups of tomorrow and Sunday. A lot more on those college basketball games. A little college football. It's Monday night when Clemson and LSU battle for the national championship in the battle of those Tigers. Some NBA notes, some golf notes, and just down the pike some baseball notes as well as long as it involves sports and or this statewide radio show it is fair game for your question comment or complaint the lines tend to be jammed monday through thursday so we created free for all friday in part to allow for more of what you want to ask about talk about or offer in terms of feedback criticism or prognostication 1-800-849-2761 more of my thoughts on the week that was and the weekend that awaits us in the sports world with more of your phone Phone calls 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. Michael wants to talk about the Matt Rule hire for the Panthers. Devin wants to talk about the Wolfpack. Joel wants in on the NFL. Willie wants in on the coaching carousel. Or no, that's the Raiders question. Al wants in on the coaching carousel. You can be next. I have a quick email from Roger in Concord, North Carolina, right there near the Queen City of Charlotte, NC. DG, I've been a subscriber to your ACC Sports Journal for over 20 years, and I respect how you have always been willing to criticize the league you cover most when that is deserving, but also praise when that is appropriate. With that in mind, I've heard you talk a lot about Duke and State and Carolina and the ACC. I have not heard you talk about ACC basketball as compared to the other conferences around the nation. What are those thoughts? Thank you. I am exercising my free-for-all Friday freedoms, he writes, and it feels good. I appreciate that. 1-800-849-2761. The long story short there, and I appreciate you asking because here's the bottom line. Whether it's my opinion... Or let's say Ken Pomeroy. I contribute to TheAthletic.com, The Athletic Carolina, beyond my work with the ACC Sports Journal and ACCSports.com. We do weekly power rankings at those, that latter website. I do midseason all ACC and other things as well. Ken Pomeroy is like the numbers cruncher for The Athletic on college basketball. And according to his objective numbers, the ACC for the last six years in a row – and for the huge majority of the last three decades, 
has been one of the best conferences in men's basketball. Every year, six in a row, and the overwhelming majority, again, over 30-plus years that I've covered the ACC. So both my subjective opinion and his objective numbers reinforce what we all think of as common sense. Yeah, the ACC is sometimes the best league in men's basketball, and it's always or almost always one of the best leagues, like it rarely is in football, for example. And again, we call them as we see them. Some years, Clemson has depth behind it in ACC football. Sometimes, like the last couple years, it's been Clemson and then a big drop to everybody else. So we take no interest in propping up a league if it's not that good or hammering a league unnecessarily, right? We just try to call it as we see it accurately and fairly. After six straight years of the ACC being one of the three best conferences in America, it is not this year. It's just not. The best leagues are the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Big East. And then there's a drop. And the ACC has some good teams, and the SEC has some good teams, and the Pac-12 has some good teams, and so does the American Athletic Conference and others. But is the depth, like top to bottom, when, when they do those numerical rankings, it's like 1 through 15, top to bottom. Top to bottom, the ACC is not anywhere near where it usually is. Top to bottom, it's often number one. And if not one, it's always two or three. Top to bottom, it's not that this year. What I add, though, as we come to Michael and Al and Willie and Joel and Devin and others, come March Madness, does it matter what your league is from top to bottom? Does it matter? Like, does it matter if your 10th best team is better than another league's 10th best team or your 8th best team is better than another 8th best team or the 12th best over the 12th best? It doesn't matter, right? What Those numerical rankings are going 1 through 12, 1 through 15, and then they spit out things that may or may not interest you. To me, what's more important is, come March Madness, how many teams do you have that matter? And what is not different about the ACC is that it still has at least three teams that matter. So whatever you think of it, 1 through 15. And folks, I've been telling you all year, Duke, Florida State, and Louisville, maybe UVA as ACC number four, but they got a long way to go offensively. After those four, it's a guessing game. I think the Wolfpack is an NCAA tournament caliber team. I think a whole bunch of others have a chance. I think the Tar Heels will be interesting once Cole Anthony returns, but it's a guessing game after four teams. And most years, the ACC has more quality proven depth than three or four teams. One through 15, though, stops mattering. Come March Madness, right? You don't care who goes to the NIT or who the CIT or who doesn't get any invitation at all. It's all about how many teams do you have that matter in March? And the ACC will have definitely Duke, number two in the polls right now, definitely Florida State and Louisville. They need to get a little better, but they're both contenders. Maybe UVA, maybe somebody else gets on a roll. But that's not that different. Even if top to bottom, the ACC is not like Big Ten, Big 12, Big East this year. When you say, how many contenders do you have? Guess what? If you're a fan of the Big Ten, it's Michigan State, Ohio State, and Maryland, and then nobody else to take too seriously. If you're a fan of the Big East, it's Butler, and it's Villanova, and it's Seton Hall, and then probably nobody else to take too seriously. The Big 12 actually might be the best in some ways. Kansas and Baylor play each other tomorrow. They're both in the national top five. West Virginia and Texas Tech are both really good as well. So three or four. The ACC has three. So come March Madness, it stops mattering what you are, 1 through 15. And led by the Devils, the Seminoles, and the Cardinals, the ACC is still going to matter. 
How many teams would you say have a better shot at the national title than the Duke Blue Devils with their Hall of Fame coach, Mike Krzyzewski, and their National Player of the Year candidate, freshman center Vernon Carey Jr., and their super-savvy two-way point guard, sophomore Trey Jones, and their coming-along nicely freshman, Cassius Stanley and Matthew Hurt, and a bunch of juniors and seniors mostly coming off the bench. That's a, you know, when they're healthy, that's a 10-deep roster for Coach K. The only guy playing more than 24 minutes is Trey Jones. Now, he varies it a lot game to game, but Coach K is playing way more depth than he usually does. You might be Joey Baker and starting at Georgia Tech but only play four or five minutes. You might be Jordan Goldwire who only averages 18 minutes, but he likes you as a defender against Georgia Tech's guards. Guess what? You play twice as much as you usually do. That's how K is doing it this year. The Hall of Famer has a lot of tools in the toolbox, and he's got a couple of superstars leading the way. That makes the ACC matter. We'll see if Florida State or Louisville kind of join Duke on that top tier, but it's not like the ACC is fading away entirely. It's ACC 4 through 15 is not as good as it usually is, and there's a big difference between those two statements. Chris Bryant is staying with the Chicago Cubs on a one-year deal worth $18 million plus. Mookie Betts. Got a one-year deal, a record $27 million one-year contract to stay with the Boston Red Sox and avoid arbitration. Those were the baseball notes I promised. Back to your calls, Michael and Raleigh. You're next on the David Glenn Show. Hey, David. Hey, man. I'm really not excited about this Matt Rule guy. All right, lay it on us. I, if he brings his defensive coordinator from Baylor when Wade Phillips is available, then he's just absolutely an idiot. It's just there's just no way a Big 12 defensive coordinator who's never done anything anywhere is going to come in to, against against Drew Brees and Matt Ryan and be able to stop them. There's just no way. For it's, those who don't know, and I'll let you keep going, Michael, Phil Snow was Matt Rule's defensive coordinator at Temple when they took a horrible program and built it into back-to-back 10-win seasons. And Phil Snow was also Matt Rule's defensive coordinator at Baylor, where in three years they went from 1-11 and in a regular season to 11-1 and in the regular season this past season. I agree with your premise. I was happy. I don't know if you heard this part of Matt Rule's – I forget if it was in the press conference or a separate interview. But he did say that it was important to him to hire a former NFL head coach as a pro-style mentor – given that he has spent, Matt Rule has spent 20 of his last 21 years, you know, 20 of his 21 years as a coach in the college ranks. So I don't know if that makes you feel any better. It wouldn't bother me if Phil Snow was on the Panthers' defensive staff. Uh, He is tapping into an NFL guy, reportedly Sean Ryan is the Lions quarterback, uh, the Detroit Lions quarterback. So he's a candidate for offensive coordinator under the new Panthers coach, Matt Rule. So I don't know if any of that makes you feel better. But I think your premise is a good one. It is not safe to assume that just because Phil Snow was your defensive wizard at Temple and Baylor that automatically he can become that in the NFL. Yeah, well, the, the latest rumor is Joe Brady out of LSU for offensive coordinator. And, um, but what, what scares me also is when he says, I've never fired a coordinator or a coach. That's a bad, that's a bad sign in the NFL. Interesting. Well, we all know there are a couple success stories. Colleges jumping from successful college coach to the NFL. Jimmy Johnson won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Uh, Barry Switzer won one after leaving Oklahoma with Jerry Jones in Dallas as well. Uh, But there are a lot more failures. And to me, the ultimate question about Matt Rule is, in 2020, how tricky or not, 
Some people say football is football. Leadership is leadership. Other people say, well, wait a minute. Leading 18 to 22-year-olds is dramatically different than leading grown men with big contracts and wives and children. Uh, they are different. I mean, heck, even the hash marks are different, right? The rules are different. There's a lot going on that is slightly different. To a degree, football is football. You can't roll your eyes at what Matt Rule did in two very brutally difficult places to win in college football. Temple is an afterthought in the city of Philadelphia. Rarely relevant over like a, a century. Seriously. And he took them to back-to-back 10-win seasons. Baylor ha- had a scandal and was mostly irrelevant in football for a century as well. And he stepped in the middle of that muck and won there quickly. So the guys got something going on. But I, I agree there is some nervousness about what parts of Matt Rule's magic automatically transfer to the NFL. Al is in Cedar Grove, North Carolina. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. How you doing, David? I've talked to you several times before, and I've got a, kind of a hole burning in my soul about what's going on with uh, the lack of African-American coaches in the NFL. Lay it on us. Um, well, I just feel like the NFL uh, – has no concern about his African-American fan base. Uh, the fact that 70% of the players in the NFL are African-American, and these guys are seeing, uh, in many respects, virtually no path to become uh, a head coach. In fact, I was reading an article uh, recently where several guys may potentially look at going to college football uh, for more opportunities, and you know, one of my issues is, other than the fact that 70% of the league is African-American, is what are the rules? Uh, they used to say, well, you have to be a coordinator. And I remember, I believe it was in the 1990s, when Sherman Lewis was the uh, offensive coordinator of the Packers when Brett Favre was there. And the reason they said he didn't get a head job was he didn't call plays. Well, Andy Reid, who obviously became a very successful coach, Andy Reid was not even a coordinator, had not called plays, but yet he got a shot. Right. Uh, you got uh, George Edwards sitting at uh, Minnesota, uh, where people say, well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't call plays. Well, you got Joe Judge, who just got hired with the uh, Giants, and you got Eric Bieniemy, who has done a tremendous job uh, in Andy Reid's own words in the development of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so with the way Colin Kaepernick's been treated, the way that um, uh, the NFL uh, coaches, assistant coaches, uh, I just I just think it's a huge slap in the face. Uh, but it shows me that not much has changed since what Al Campana said. And even though this was baseball, when Al Campana's made that statement on Nightline in 1986 yep. about uh, not having some of the particulars and uh, – and I have kind of a special interest in this, uh, even though I've never coached at the pro college level. I was a high school coach for 40 years. I am an African-American. I have coached. Uh, uh, I played against uh, professional athletes. I played. Uh, I coached against professional athletes. And I coached a professional football player. So uh, I remember one time I applied for a head football job, and I was told, well, uh, you're a basketball man, not a football man. And I've told people for years, you can say racist things to people without using a racist word. For sure. So, so. Yeah, I, I've re- received your point as intended. Uh, I remember those Al Campanis remarks as a young man in the 1980s. I am saddened by the state of racism in the United States in 2020 in a lot of different ways. 
uh, even more so day-to-day life for average Americans than, say, these professional football coaches. I think we all realize that there's kind of overt racism, and then there's just racism that happens without the person responsible even thinking about it entirely. And what I mean is most people tend to hire those who are like themselves, right? David Tepper saw a lot of himself in Matt Rule, who happens to be a white man, and David Tepper happens to be a white man. Consciously or subconsciously, most people hire people that remind them of themselves in some way, where they have some commonality culturally, intellectually, psychologically, experience-wise, childhood-wise, whatever. Most people's fallback position is to hire someone that they're comfortable with because of various commonalities. And, of course, it's not appropriate to say that every person of color automatically grew up in a different culture than I did or vice versa, et cetera. It's not, the world is not that simple. But between overt racism and, you know, what do we have in NFL ownership? Overwhelmingly old white males. Overwhelmingly old white males. I guarantee you this. The folks that I know in that generation are guilty of far more racism than their children. And this is just my anecdotal experience as a human being, as an American. Racism is is a much worse problem in the oldest generation. Still a problem, but less in, say, my parents' generation. Still a problem, but even less in my generation. And still a problem, but even less in my children's generation. So that's progress We've taken some steps backward over the last three years or so. The NFL has taken taken some step back, steps backward as well. I'm glad the Rooney Rule exists. Some people don't even want to bend that far. Just forcing you by rule to interview a minority candidate, right? Eric Bieniemy, Chiefs offensive coordinator, was that minority candidate interviewed by David Tepper on his way to hiring Matt Rule of Baylor. That is a rule. It's a good rule. Not everybody likes it. But a lot of those who don't like it also have are completely clueless about the fundamentals of racism in sports and in the United States of America. Just truly ignorant. Doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they're uneducated on matters that involve race or gender or other things. The Rooney Rule has been helpful, but the Rooney Rule has not been a panacea. Good SAT word. You know, the true solution that makes all the problems go away. I wish I had, you know, a laundry list of great answers for you. I think the Rooney Rule helps. I think those interviews matter in the longer run. I think eventually, because remember, NFL players were not in as high percentages African-Americans back in the day. So as that number continues to grow, former players often get into coaches. The math will help part of this, but a cultural shift is harder to define define. And harder to make happen. And I I hate to, you know, put an exclamation point on Free For All Friday with that kind of a sad topic, but you're not wrong to bring it up. And you're probably like me, banging your head against the wall looking for better solutions. We're back after this on The David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. 
just for kicks, I will mention that whereas we can't go back to the calls right now, we had a caller from Fayetteville who insists that NC State is the best basketball team in the ACC. I'm actually higher on the Wolfpack than most, and sometimes I take abuse for that. But as I say, again, after Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and maybe Virginia, whatever your questions about the Wolfpack, I have at least as many questions about every other team in the ACC as well. We, of course, will revisit all of these things after a weekend that nationally brings us the Kansas-Baylor matchup, two of the very best teams in the entire country going head-to-head. -head. Former Providence Day School star Devin Dotson leading the Jayhawks against the Bears, who have never won at Kansas in men's basketball. We have a similar dynamic here. Clemson 0 for 59. The Tigers have played the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill 59 times. The Tigers have lost to Carolina in Chapel Hill 59 times. Ofer ever. That could end this weekend. I think the Tar Heels are better than the Clemson Tigers. After that top tier, everybody is beatable. That does include the Tar Heels, as Georgia Tech and Pitt just showed on that Smith Center floor. We'll see if Clemson, led by Amir Sims, they play good defense as usual under Coach Brad Brownell. They just lack the offensive firepower that most other ACC teams have. You'd think the Tar Heels can defend their home court. Bears-Jayhawks tomorrow, national game on CBS. Tomorrow, later in the afternoon, Clemson visiting the struggling and less gifted Tar Heels of North Carolina. Jimmy Buffett, tickets went on sale earlier today for an April concert in Raleigh. The legend takes us into the weekend as we come down the stretch next. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. A little Jimmy Buffett to take us into the weekend as always. Lovely Cruise is the name of the song. As we celebrate 10 years of statewide syndication, good time early in the new year to thank everybody, listeners, sponsors, affiliates, supporters. Quick personal note, the North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year honor, which is one of the greatest honors I've ever received in any of my careers, will be announced early next week. Kane's voice, John Forsland, and I have been publicly announced as the finalists. We have not mentioned this yet on the air. For the record, I voted for Forsland. So best wishes to him, but also thanks, just as I thank all of you responsible for making this sports radio show go. Thanks to all of those who voted for me. Just being a finalist is a great honor. John Forsland, fellow finalist, certainly deserving of North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year. I believe he and I have both won it in the past. It would be an honor for either to win it this year. For the record, I voted for John. Enjoy the NFL action this weekend. Maybe four more good games. College hoops as well. Wake at Duke, State at Virginia Tech, Clemson at Carolina, and more. Enjoy those games. We'll see you Monday on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.